Oh, so you like listening to podcasts, huh? Well, so do a lot of people. As a matter of fact, millions of listeners are tuning into podcasts every week, and your next customer could be one of them. Did you know that podcast advertising is one of the most effective ways to advertise your product or service? And it's really easy to get started. Just go to podbean.com slash brands. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands to start boosting your business with podcast advertising today. Welcome to the HCI family of podcasts, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We share our own original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. Join us for practitioner-oriented content around all things leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with the HCI family of podcasts. North. It is a pleasure to be with you. I'm joined by Dr. Angela Schill. I'm John Westover. Uh, together, we'll be co-hosting this episode today with Kara. We're going to be talking about leveraging generational examples of working women and positive impact in our in the workplace, in our communities. As we get started, I wanted to share Kara's bio with everybody. Kara H. North is a native of Orem, Utah, and obtained a BS in, manage, in business management from UVU in 2007. She then graduated from the S.J. Quinney College of Law at the University of Utah in 2010 with her Juris Doctorate. She began her legal career with a large insurance defense firm in Las Vegas, Nevada. After returning to Utah, Kara began practicing law in Utah County with a practice primarily focused on plaintiff's personal injury litigation, criminal defense, and adoption. Now, I could go on. Lots of really cool stuff that you've done. Maybe one thing I will highlight uh, is that uh, you were recognized by the Utah Business Q Magazine as a 40 under 40, among many other accolades. But uh, Kara, anything you would like to highlight or draw attention to by way of your background or personal professional context before we dive on into the broader conversation? Um, just that I am a proud Wolverine and that I am currently serving as the alumni board president at UVU. And so I love shouting the praises of everything going on at UVU. And I'm um, really excited to be associated with the university in several different capacities. Wonderful. And I need to note for anyone who's only listening and not watching the video, you're wearing a wonderful green jacket. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's on purpose because of the UVU conversation today, but good, good. Absolutely. Work <laughs> yes. I know my audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, in keeping with this theme that John's introduced of generational examples of working women, Kara, I'm just wondering if you have any examples of women in your life that have impacted your own views on balancing work and home life and your career that you have. Yes, actually, I've had several examples. And I'm going to start just quickly telling you a little bit about my grandmother. My grandmother turned 93 this week. And um, it was pretty fun to visit with her and chat with her. And when I was a young girl, I would go stay with her for weeks on end in the summer in a small town in Idaho where she lived. And she ran a dress shop. And, you know, she had run a dress shop and had worked in a dental office most of her life. And the, the interesting thing about that is, you know, this was a time when it was like the 50s, 60s, 70s, as far as her working life, when it was very uncommon for women to be working outside of the home. And um, as a younger child, it didn't strike me as unusual that she owned her own business and that my grandpa was supportive of that. That just seemed normal to me. 
Um, but now, obviously, as I'm older, I realize like, wow, that was pretty groundbreaking at the time mm. to have her own her own dress shop, you know, in that time when women didn't, you know, couldn't even have mortgages on their own, couldn't even have credit cards in their own names. And so that was pretty interesting. And so I think that kind of led the way for my mom, who has also worked the entirety of my life. She started working when I was in kindergarten and has worked her way up with a local credit union and is now an associate vice president. And um, my whole life, my mom worked, but it seemed like it was normal because she, I never felt like she missed out on any of my childhood activities. I felt like she was always there. And now obviously um, I'm a working mom and I'm, I'm very much engaged in my son's life, but I'm also running a law firm. And, and I, it never occurred to me that that would be unusual or difficult to balance because the examples that I had seen had always done it. And so, um, you know, it, it was never a question for me whether I was also going to work outside of the home. And I just thought that that generational example really played into what seemed normal to me. And for some people, if you see it, it's easy and normal. And if you don't see it, it might seem very different or unusual. And so it's kind of just like, what are we seeing in our lives? And what are the examples as far as um, women's abilities in the workplace and what they're capable of and, and what they're doing? That's fascinating. As I as I hear you speak, I start to think about my own grandmother who took me to work with her when I was little, when I would come to visit, she worked at a bank. And then my own mom started working, I think I was about nine. And I Mm -hmm. was, I was her secretary for a while there and then just did every jack of all trades as she started and worked her company. So I can see, you know, that was normal for me. So I can see how that, it makes sense that it's kind of what you see in, in front of you. And how, my question is, how do we help people who maybe haven't had that example and how Mm -hmm. do we, help them see that it's possible to have that work, work and life intermingled. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I- if, if I can just add the kind of a contrasting example. So it's not, both of you have those generational examples of women working. Um, my family and my wife's family don't. Uh, and so that was really interesting for us as um, like later in life. So both my wife's mother and my mother did work but not until much later in life, uh, you know, when the kids were all in school and and things like that. And so it was interesting to just kind of navigate that in our own home uh, and, and to see kind of my wife's uh, wrestling with those gender norms. Right. And, and thinking, you know, she really felt very, very strongly that I need to be at home with the kids Um, Mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, like if if that's what a woman chooses to do great. And she, my wife loves that she was, was a, an at-home mom for many, many years. Um, but even, you know, getting into the workforce on a part-time basis, that was a really hard, like struggle for my wife, like just to wrap her mind around that. She felt so much mom guilt around just even being like a part-time professor at UVU, like teaching one class a semester, you know, where she's only out of the house for like a few hours, you know, and she felt a ton of guilt about that. And it was just really hard for her to wrap her mind around it over time. You know, she, she kind of leaned into it and, and now she's, you know, a full-time professor here at UVU as well, but it, it kind of took a long time for her to get to that place. And I think a lot of that just comes back to the, the generational examples that both of you had, she did not have. Um, I tried to be supportive of it. In fact, I, I think I was the one kind of pushing her towards, you know, opening up to, to working outside the home. Um, but it's, it's hard when you don't, when you didn't experience that yourself and you kind of have all these societal pressures or the cultural components, you know, around you 
that have told you all your life that you should be at home. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Well, and I think it's important to note, right? Like all moms are working moms. It just depends whether their work is paid or unpaid. Right. And so we always like, you know, we definitely don't want to engage in mommy wars because all moms work hard. Right. And, and, but I, I certainly, yes, if there's women, like for me, I knew that staying at home was not something that I could even just mentally handle. I knew that for me to feel like I was fulfilling myself, I needed to also engage in some work outside of the home. But that, you know, is not the case for everybody. And I absolutely think we need to respect and admire the work that they're doing within the home. But certainly if there's a time that they change that or they, you know, don't have that generation generational example and they do want to look for an opportunity to work outside the home, A, number one, we do need to figure out ways to make it easier for moms that are transitioning out of the home into the workplace with more flexible schedules and, um, you know, stuff like that. But then the other thing is also just, um, you know, looking for opportunities to mentor women who are newer to the marketplace and and recognizing that the skills that they've developed at home doesn't mean that they don't translate um, to the workplace. I think they absolutely do. And, you know, I, I have a sister who had raised her children in, in the home, you know, for 18 years. She has a master's degree and she found it really difficult just finding employers that were open to a mom coming back into the workforce with a, uh, you know, a work history gap like that. And yeah. she worked super hard and took lots of online courses for skill development and stuff like that. And then she was able to find something that is a remote work and is still a great option for her. Um, personally. And I think those those options are critical to having women in the workplace and allowing women to balance both that home and work life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it, to me, it seems like you've got two pieces. You've got, you know, because even though I had these generational examples, I the mom guilt is a real thing. That's mm-hmm. And I've done both. I've been stay-at-home mom and then kind of trickled in between work and home and then full-time work. And there's always that balance of how do you how do you stay focused? So there's the mental shift for women working and there's also employers that are willing to accommodate and allow for that flexibility, which I think COVID helped a lot with in realizing like across the board, it evened things up a little. And as things shift, I wonder how do we, how do we get that shift to occur even more? How do we, how do we broach that? Correct. Because there is now even a little bit of a pushback in the marketplace from the flexibility (laughs) that we had during COVID to now employers being very demanding of, no, you have to be back in the office and you have to, you know, you know, there's been some stories recently of of employers saying, nope, I don't care what you have to give up, get back at your desk. And, and I think really we can be a, a very productive work society when we have, you know, healthy mental spaces, which comes with flexibility and comes with autonomy. And so I think that enables us to give our best work in our jobs and in our homes. And so at least for me and my firm, like we've tried really hard to respect flexible work schedules. I really appreciate a flexible work schedule. I mentioned to Angela before we started that, you know, I spent some time at my son's school this morning doing a project there. And then obviously I'm now in my office today and I appreciate that ability. But then when I'm here, I can give a hundred percent because I'm not worried about what's going on at home. Cause I just, I just handled it and we're good, you know? So hopefully more employers will recognize the benefit of that. But I, I, re- I recall when I had my son, um, brand new baby, I dropped him off at the person who was caring for him. And I cried the whole way to my office. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I was actually in trial that week 
And it was just a flood of emotions because of the case and because of leaving my son with somebody and what was I doing? And I, I don't want to pretend that I haven't had those doubts of, am I doing the right thing by my son? And am I doing the right thing for my family? Um, but, but when I help a client at work and I feel really fulfilled in that, and then I can go home and give my son the attention that he needs and support him and take him to basketball and do all those things. It makes me feel like I can do it all in the way that I want to do it and still be fulfilled in various aspects in different ways. Yeah. And, and even, even it it really, I mean, it, it seems obvious hopefully to people, but you know, your life obviously is personally enriched, but you're, I think able to be a better mom for your son in, in ways that, because of your professional experience uh, that you also bring back to home. You know, I think about it, it's a different kind of analogy, but, you know, I think about, you know, academic, the, the, the UVU world, I think of academic life, I think of practitioner life. And, and I often, I, you know, I try to think of myself as a scholar practitioner, like I'm going to bring the real world into the classroom. I'm going to take academic perspectives and research and rigor out into practitioner-based work. And it's not an either or, and they, they feed each other and like they, they help me be better in both areas. And I, I would think that the same would apply to motherhood. I, I know as a father, I feel that way, that I feel like I'm a, a better dad because of how my home life feeds into my professional life and vice versa. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think it definitely also plays a role in how I'm raising my son and the type of person I hope that he will be yeah. in this day and age, as far as respectful of women. Um, you know, there's no jokes in our house about playing ball like a girl or anything like that, because my son knows girls are just as capable, right? That's a phrase that's come out of his mouth because of who I am and what I expect from him. And um, I have a funny story from when he was in first grade and it was women's history month at his school. And he was learning about, um, judges on the Supreme Court who are women. So he he was asking me about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and he was asking me about, you know, Sonia Sotomayor and uh, Sandra Day O'Connor because he knew that mommy loves judges and that's important. And ironically, at the same time, I was actually being considered for a judge position here in Utah County. Um, I was one of the top five finalists to be considered for a judge. And so in his world, the only judges he was seeing were women. And he said to me, you know, mom, is it possible? Could I ever be a judge? Can boys be judges? Mm, mm. And it just made me laugh because I was like, you know, dude, you are more likely (laughs) to be a judge probably than I am, even though here I am being considered for one. But um, just, you know, it's a back to that whole what we see universe kind of thing. And so for him, he was only seeing women judges, whereas we know in reality, the majority of judges are men. And so I, I think hopefully, you know, I'm giving him a little bit of a different perspective as he's growing up about, you know, strong women and what that can look like in the different capacities in which they can um, come into our lives and serve. And, and I hope that I'm, I am being a better mom to him that helps him as he grows up and becomes a father or, or works in whatever capacity he does. Yeah. Just, and I, again, as a father, I know from a generational perspective, I love that I, I have four daughters and two sons. I love that my four daughters, well, and my sons too, but I love particularly that my four daughters have the example of their mother who, you know, has a doctorate degree, who uh, is a professor, who, you know, is an amazing teacher and is so helpful to students in so many ways. Like they see her impact. Um, that's powerful for them. Just like your own mothers and grandmothers examples were powerful for you. And it's powerful for my sons. Like, so 
to the to the point that you were just expressing with your son like i think it changes the way they they view um gendered interactions with people and i sure hope that you know my sons grow up to be men who you know certainly aren't sexist but uh who you know just don't have any of those biases kind of built in even you know unconsciously in their in the back of their heads yeah. And I think, you know, your kids having, seeing all that mom is doing and having a doctorate degree and teaching, and then also still being a really good mom. Yeah. I think that all translates across the board that you can, you can do it all. It's, it's not necessarily, you know, easy, but in whatever capacity you want to do it, there, there can be an avenue for you to do it. And I think it's awesome, you know, with her going back to work and getting, I don't know when she got her doctorate degree, but, you know, obviously she she still was able to create the path she wanted, whether it was sooner or later in life. And I love that. Yeah. yeah and in, in her example, it was recent. Um, you know, she got her, her bachelor's degree. Uh, she finished like a week before her first child was born. She got her master's degree um, right around the time, a little bit after our third child was born. And then she finished her doctorate about a year and a half ago. And my my youngest is 10, you know. So her path was not, you know, necessarily the traditional path. But yeah, she, she navigated it in her own way. And I agree. Like, I think it's wonderful that my, my kids have been able to see her go through her education. They've been able to see her work in a part-time capacity, move into full-time capacity. Uh, it's been a great example for them. Yeah. And absolutely. It sends that message of, you know, perseverance and hard work and dedication and it all pays off. And I think those, you know, I, I frequently tell my son actions speak louder than words and it's, it's being willing to put in that hard work because I'm assuming she did a lot of it late at night after the kids yeah. were in bed and doing that kind yep. of stuff or early in the morning. And, and, you know, that's a lot of how it is as a working parent outside of the home. Um, you know, there's times where I'm working at the office late and my husband's, you know, holding down the fort doing dinner and the bedtime routine and stuff like that. But um, I think, yes, coming back and then developing that atmosphere of love and, and hard work and we can make it and you can do it, it enables our kids to see, that the goals that they have for themselves are able to be accomplished with that same type of hard work. Yeah. And that my wife's, um, her goals, her ambitions, her career is every bit as important as mine. Right. Mm. Uh, and that even in, in homes where you see uh, women who are working, I'm not sure that's always conveyed. <laughs> I, I'm not sure right. that's the reality that people experience. Um, and you know, they're, we're, we're thrilled that, for example, that she got a full-time um, professor position here at UVU, but we weren't sure that was going to happen. We were looking elsewhere and I would, you know, I'm, I'm ready to leave and go somewhere else because just because I'm here doesn't mean we should stay here. And her, her, uh, her career is every bit as important as my career. And we're, we're thrilled that that didn't happen, that we didn't have to leave to go somewhere else. But, uh, but ultimately I think that's really important for children as, and as they're, developing their own framing about the world to recognize that yeah she does not come second in this relationship she does not come second in her career ambitions right and i you know the funny thing is 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 um since my son was little and i've had this i've had this weird thought about like who's his spouse going to be and are they even alive yet and what's their goal ambitions going to be and what is you know what i mean like and no pressure because i know he's only nine but you know, I think, I think I want whoever my son marries to feel that same way that your wife feels, you know, that, that 
that her ambitions or, you know, their ambitions are equally as important. Um, and that my son should be supportive of those things. And that's, you know, what I what I want to raise my son to be like, I read an interesting study yesterday that actually talked about that, there is a significant shift that women are becoming the primary breadwinners in their family. You know what I mean? And um, I, I just think that there is going to be a shift in dynamics, at least like in law school, it's now 50-50 women to men across the board. Utah's numbers are a little bit lower, but in general, more women are getting graduate degrees, more women are, you know, staying in college longer or, or you know, getting those uh, additional di- diplomas or programs. And I think with that shift, it will be more likely that there will be more working moms outside of the home and or even on, as entrepreneurs. And I think that that's an interesting point. And so what are we doing to prepare our families for that shift? And kind of going off in that direction, talking about this difference in the the, the change in how many women are working outside of the home. In Utah, you were saying the numbers are lower when it comes to law school, right? Do you want to talk right. a little bit more about that and maybe what some of the barriers are, maybe even here in Utah for women? Yeah, I think, I think obviously, uh, you know, p- listeners to your podcast will probably be able to speak to this just as well as I do is that, that, that there is somewhat of a cultural dynamic. Um, there is an expectation within a majority of the religious population that women should be responsible for raising the children in the home. And so sometimes there's pushback against, you know, if a woman wants to go on to have a graduate degree or a career. And, you know, I think I've, I know I've had my fair share of comments, particularly about the fact that I only have one child and, you know, what kind of choice was I making for my family by putting my career first before my child? And is that what, you know, the gospel centered, you know, family should look like, you know what I mean? Or, you know, I've had comments like that in my life. And, and I just think that the most important thing is to remember that you are responsible for you and your family. And you have to do what's best for you. No one else can tell you whether your choices are correct for you and your family. And um, so I think anytime a woman in particular, obviously, that's who we're really focusing on today, has certain goals and ambitions, obviously making sure your partner is on on board with that and and supportive of that. But then beyond that, like you don't owe an explanation to anyone. You don't owe a justification to anyone about what your goals and ambitions are. And, you know, candidly, my family of three is what's perfect for me and my family. And I'm really glad that we are, you know, happy as we are. My husband actually uh, finished a master's degree and then a few years ago decided to go back and do a different master's degree and totally changed career fields. He was in mental health before, and now he's in medicine. And um, I'm glad that I was able to support him when he decided to change paths. And um, I just think we need to remember that we don't owe anybody an explanation. You know, we don't have to justify our choices to anyone else as long as they're safe, happy, healthy choices for our family. And so I think it's just, I would just encourage any young women or people listening to this podcast to just really make the best decision for you. Take it to your partner, take it to your parents, people that matter to you and just say, hey, these are the goals and ambitions that I have. What do you think? Um, You know, for me in the workplace, I still face a major gender dynamic of being a woman in a predominantly male centered career. I still frequently get confused for the paralegal and, you know, my, my paralegal is a male. And so a lot of times people default and assume he's the attorney and I'm the, the paralegal and we have to kind of recenter people's gender norms, ideas about the workplace. But um, it, I think that's a, it's a battle worth fighting because it's worth 
um, paving the way for other women who want to work in my career, work in my field, and don't want to be assumed to be the paralegal. And hopefully one day we can have that switch and, and recognize that, you know, women are equally as capable of being lawyers and having confrontational conversations. And that doesn't mean that they're, you know, a, a bad person or mean or difficult. It means they're doing their job for their client and, and that's the right way to do it. And when women wading into these situations, like you're talking about with yourself, you brought up earlier mentorship. And I'm wondering what your experience has been with that and mentoring women and helping them network and how to just when facing barriers, how to find that support and confidence and courage to move forward. Yeah, particularly in my practice area within um, law, I'm in personal injury and there are less than 100 women practicing personal injury in the state of Utah. In fact, it's actually closer to 50, but you know, I just want to account for a few outliers that maybe I'm not familiar with. And, and, Honestly, I went to that group and I said, I'm looking for someone to mentor me. Now I've been practicing for 13 years, but there are women who have been practicing longer than me. And I reached out and found somebody and said, can I take you to lunch? Can you, you know, kind of give me the ropes on, you know, some career paths and things I'm looking for. And I thankfully found a great mentor for myself. And now I'm likewise trying to pay that back. I actually have a mentor lunch scheduled right after this with a younger female attorney who says, you know, Hey, I'm really struggling in my firm. I don't like my firm. I feel like there's some gender biases there. Can we please talk? You know, and so that's part of what we're going to talk about today at lunch and say, you know, hey, I I recognize how the hard that path can be. Let's talk about some things you can do to navigate when you're facing those tricky gender biases that are almost inevitable in our practice. Yeah. So it's it's I, I guess it's not being afraid to ask for a mentor. <laughs> you know, if you find somebody that you're like, I kind of like what they're doing and I like what they've done and I feel like I could learn something from them nine times out of 10, they're going to be more than happy to sit down and talk with you. I know particularly through UVU, we have job shadow programs. We have Wolverine connect where you can connect with alumni who have worked in your field. I think absolutely do those things, reach out. And, you know, even myself, like if somebody's listening to this podcast and they want to shoot me an email, say, Hey, I'm thinking about a career in the law, or I did my undergrad in business and I, I don't know what to do next. Shoot me an email. I will take you to lunch. We can talk about it. I want to be that mentor for other people. And I think, even, you know, regardless of gender, people want to give back and support when they've been um, recipients of that same kind of support and mentorship, which I know I have been and, and many others across the board will be as well. And, and so I think just don't be afraid to ask to have a mentor or to have somebody that you can talk to about your career path. Also, kind of in the, the background work we did, just talking with you ahead of time, you talked about how male, male allies are important. And you said, regardless of gender, how does that work? And what has your been ex- what has your experience been in terms of? Yeah, I, I actually have been very blessed to have some amazing um, male mentors. And I think within the law, especially, there's no way I could have done my career without having those male mentors. And, you know, one of them was just, hey, I hear you're going to law school. I need a clerk. Do you want to come clerk for me? And that was a friend of my dad's. And and I didn't even know what a clerk was because I hadn't gone to law school yet. I was just a, about to start my first semester. And and I absolutely, yeah, like, let me come work for you. And he taught me a lot that, that summer. And then I ended up um, continuing to clerk with their firm. And, and one of the other partners took me under his wing and taught me all about personal injury. And there was lots of days where I thought he was, you know, being extra hard on me or, you know, giving me, you know, feedback that maybe he wouldn't have given a male counterpart. But then when I realized I was like, you know, actually, this made me so much better in the long term. And even though I don't still work there, it's some they are both people that I feel like I can reach out to. Hey, you know, because 
they call it the practice of law for a reason. There's new experiences every day and, and being open to reaching out to other people and saying, Hey, this is a weird thing that I've never experienced before. Are you willing to talk through this with me? I think you've had something like this. And, and again, it's being willing to have those mentors, but certainly, um, you know, a woman in a male dominated career, you need to look for those allies as well, because more often than not, you're going to find more male mentors than you will women. And so just making sure that you're looking out for the good ones that are willing to be supportive because they're there, you know, you just got to be willing to ask and they'll, they'll support as well. Cause they probably have a daughter or a wife yeah. or, you know what I mean? And yeah. they, and they recognize that sometimes that, you know, I would want somebody to do this for my daughter. So I'm going to do it for you. So yeah, I've been, I've been very blessed in that way. You had mentioned earlier in the conversation, you know, sometimes uh, the the, pre- the 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 flexibility piece, how important that can be um, for yeah. women, especially those who are perhaps transitioning from um, working at home uh, and, and moving into a different phase of their work life and career. Um, there was a fairly um, public, got national news, I think international news, a, a local CEO who made some unfortunate comments. Um, this mm-hmm. was probably last spring. Um, it's not, and it's not unique to Utah. Like there, there are CEOs mm-hmm. saying those things in other places as well, <laughs> but this particular instance, you know, it got a lot of, of local and domestic press for sure. Um, and it, it you know, was quite derogatory towards women and particularly wor- working moms. Um, mm-hmm. how do we address those sorts of, um, attitudes, those sorts of behaviors that can set things back. Like we want to improve things, but it it can, whether that was the intention of this individual or not, that is the effect, right? Is that it ends up having a negative impact and it makes people feel unsafe. It makes people feel like, you know, this isn't the organization I can be at. Um, Right. Any thoughts or ideas around that? Sure. Um, that particular CEO and I know each other pretty well. And I, the hard thing about that is, is I know that his intention was not the way it came across. And so that's unfortunate that that's how it came across. But, you know, we did have a discussion a little bit about that. And I told him, obviously, my experience as a working mom and how that's been. And, you know, initially, uh, in the law, working from home was not a thing, especially pre COVID. And um, I had asked if I could work from home two days a week. And I was met with some resistance from that, you know, and certainly that made it more difficult. And I felt like I had to work twice as hard to prove that I was, you know, as good as my male counterparts that weren't having to do that. And um, it can be tricky to navigate that. But I think one of the things that we need to do as women is, is if we need that flexibility when we're going into a job interview or we're meeting with somebody about a position, I think we shouldn't be afraid to ask for it. Um, I think we shouldn't be afraid to say, hey, I'm capable of X, Y, and Z, and these are the skills that you need, and I do have those skills. For me to be my best as an employee, I need some flexibility and some autonomy due to some familial situations. So let's, as part of my compensation package, let's negotiate that. And I think a lot of times we as women are just afraid to ask to negotiate those kinds of benefits because we're afraid to be perceived as difficult or, you know, that maybe we're not a team player or we're not going to be there for the company lunch on Friday afternoons or whatever. Um, But I think your work can speak for itself. Right. And so I think it's important that we take that opportunity to, to negotiate those things that are going to make us our best. And 
And I think as employers, it's also important to recognize that our employees can be at their best. Now, certainly if an employee, you know, hadn't opened their laptop in six months, which I think was one of the examples that that CEO had, then I think, yeah, certainly there's a problem. And and I don't think any business person would think you're in the wrong for addressing that. Right. But I do think that conversely, we need to recognize that flexibility, autonomy, giving our, our employees the ability to have positive mental health in the workplace is going to enable them to produce their best work. I have one paralegal right now who is outstanding, hands down, one of the best paralegals I've ever worked with in my entire life. She works from home four days a week, comes into the office on Fridays, and she accomplishes more in the part-time schedule that she does than I've seen a lot of people accomplish in full-time. And so I'm like, I would take, you know, 20 Rachels that are working from home part-time to, you know, one or two full-time employees who are in the office because I think there's a misnomer that being in the office means being productive. And that's just not always true. I've I've worked in a number of firms where there were people in the office all day and they did nothing for four or five hours, but <laughs> you know, sit there and chat and do all the things. Whereas I'm busting away in my office and I'm like, all right, I'm out at 4.30. And they're like, well, wait, where are you going? And I said, well, I've been at my desk all day. I've done my stuff. I'm done. Uh, you know? And so I, I just think the more we can help employers assume that being in the office is not equivalent with being productive, the better off we'll be. And that will enable women to have more flexible work schedules or all parents or any working person that wants a flexible work schedule to have it. And, you know, like you said, post COVID, I do think there is more flexibility in the marketplace in general, but with that flexibility has to come productivity and accountability. And so there's got to be that balance. And and once it's abused, I think it's not wrong for an employer to say, Hey, we need to pull back the handles, but I think if you're a productive employee and can demonstrate that, then maybe you can still have some of those exceptions. Well, Kara, this has been a great conversation. Uh, lots of fun and we could keep going and going and going, but I know you're yeah, also very done. busy. So <laughs> we'll uh, we'll uh, wrap things up. I did want to ask you just one more kind of fun question. Um, are yeah. you familiar with the show Suits? And if so, is it <laughs> even remotely accurate to the world no. of law? <laughs> no i have never i've never had a paralegal write an entire brief that i could file with the court that's just not true so megan markle is is a total misnomer <laughs> in real life um glad you cleared that but up. <laughs> yeah no it's, i heard a comedian talk about one day that um you know lawyers what are the, what's their dress code suits what did they deal in lawsuits and what does everybody think their job is like suits the show you know and I was like oh that's pretty funny um but no it's not quite like suits but law and order does actually cite real cases which is kind of interesting too so that case law is accurate but all other lawyer shows I try to avoid (laughs) very good well as we wrap things up I did want to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you find out more about your firm your work Uh, And then give us the final word on this topic of generational examples of women working. Oh, absolutely. So um, I run the law firm Moxie Law Group. We're based in Pleasant Grove, um, just off the I-15 exit. Um, You can find us at www.moxielawgroup.com. My email is Kara at Moxie Law Group, K-A-R-A at Moxie Law Group. And if anybody listening wants to reach out or connect, just shoot me an email. I would love to connect with you. I'm also on LinkedIn. You can find me that way. I'm also basically on campus several times a month. So even if there's somebody that wants to meet up at UVU, I would love to do that as well. And um, I just think it's important to recognize that um, we are influenced by what we see. 
And I know that seeing working women in my life made a difference for me. And if that's something that you're not seeing, reach out. I would love to connect with you and be that mentor for you to help you see what paths it could look like for you if you choose to work out of the home. Wonderful. Kara, thank you so much. Angela, thank you. I encourage the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Kara and her firm can do for you. Thank you for joining us in this conversation. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the podcast. We hope you stay healthy and safe, and please join us again soon. Are you the proprietor of a business selling shaving kits, meal packs, audiobooks, or anything else of the sort? Have you failed to tap the market of people who love hearing their favorite comedians talk about their boring lives? What's wrong with you? 57% of U.S. consumers listen to podcasts every month. That's a lot of ears that could be hearing about your brand. Go to podbean.com slash brands to learn how it do. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands, and you could be the one talking instead of me.